Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at how China is attracting top players with the huge money on offer. African stars to have gone to China recently include Nigerians Odion Igalo and Brown Idee, and Cameroon's Christian Basagog. We speak to Igalo, who says it's not about the money for him. Mm. I, I, don't get me wrong, I don't say the money is not good, you know. Mm. It's good, but I know they that money driven. Plus, a look at the African players featuring in the round of 16 in the UEFA Champions League. And we ask whether it is time for Arsene Wenger to go at Arsenal. So Didier Drogba and Asamoah Jan are two examples of African players who played in China, attracted by huge salaries. The Africa Cup of Nations player of the tournament, Christian Basagog of Cameroon, has just moved from Denmark to Chinese Super League side Henan Jianye. Somewhat surprising, as he's only 21, but Basagog said the offer was one he could not refuse, and the transfer fee was a club record $8.7 million. On transfer deadline day at the end of January, English Premier League club Watford sold Nigeria striker Odion Igalo to Chinese Super League side Changchung Yatai for $25 million. Now, Igalo is 27. He helped Watford to win promotion to the Premier League in 2015. He scored 15 top-flight goals in the 2015-16 season, but had only one Premier League goal this season and indeed had gone 15 games without scoring in all competitions. Oluwashina Okaleji spoke to Igalo on Skype and asked why he chose to go to China this time when he had turned down an offer before. Yeah, because uh, last time uh, I want to play in Premier League because then I feel that I still get more to offer here and all that. Though the money last time was much more than this, even triple. But then I said, no, I thought that even the club accept the offer, you know, but I tell the club I'm not going and all that. It was good money for them. Now it's different because now I'm, I don't play, I nearly play much. It's kind of frustrating because I want to play every weekend. I'm young, at 27 years old. I want to play every weekend. But now I need to play, and uh, uh, due to that, it's, it's frustrating, you know, for all which I do last season, how many games I played last and then this season, finally I had to play every game. So when options come for me, the, me, I want to remain here in England, West Brom come, Crystal Palace too called me, they want, they want to even come, but the, the money uh, what for was asking was too much. And now only trying to give, give them what they, they want, you know. It was a good money for me though too, but... What can we do? Life goes on, you know. So your priority was to stay in England? Yeah. Mm, so it was all about the demand of the club? Yeah, yeah, it was, was. So in terms of money now, how much will this change your life in terms of the kind of money you're going to get now compared to what you're getting in England? Uh, yeah, for me, I believe uh, what I have before don't change my life, you know. Mm. But now it's just addition to what I'm getting more again because me, I'm not, I know be, I know the money driven. And if I mm. the money driven, I for, I for don't go two years ago. Mm. I, I, don't get me wrong, I don't say the money is not good, you know. Mm. It's good, but I know they that money driven. But it's going to change a lot in my life, in the life of my family back home too. But 
during your tough period at Watford, like you mentioned, when um, you weren't getting playing times, you weren't scoring goals as people expected, were you at any point in time frustrated? Sometimes you you just be thinking what's going on because this is the same person that you this same me that the last season you know everything was just working against you and all that. But I just keep my cool. One thing I I do that I don't put my frustration on anybody. You know, mm. not on the coach, not on my teammates, not on any human. You know, next day I go work hard and pray things to change. But that's all. Not many footballers will stay calm. Where did you get your strength from to be strong, to, to keep going? Not everybody will just get going. Some people will just lose their head. They will fight in the dressing room or throw boots or do something. Remember last season, some of the guys there in my team were not playing. I know the kind of attitude they're putting, causing problems, arguing and all that. But if you ask, I never, I, I didn't, I don't make one problem with anybody. Even the coach, I went to the training ground today. I go meet Mazari, the coach. I shake him, tell him thank you for the little time we spent together, shake my teammates and all that. I said goodbye, you know, even though he tried to frustrate me, he didn't play me and play me out of position sometime, but that's my person, you know, try to shake him, tell me you are a good guy, you are a good person, you are a humble guy, you are a great professional, sorry things did not work out, wish you the best and hope we'll see again. Then I say, yeah, tell him thank you and I, and I go. So I feel when things was going tough, my family, I pray to God, my family now them be the most concerned. When I go home, when I get in and when I see my kids now, what even won't make me angry for life again because mm. they are blessings to me, you know. Because I when I home I leave little girl, my daughter, playing, laughing, jump all over me. I forget every pressure, I forget every thing that is on my head till when I go out again from the house to training again, train. So Mm. Even sometimes my, my, my kids that used to miss scoring goals, you know, when I come home after a game, say, my first one will have been, Daddy, why you didn't score today? I say, well, next weekend I will score. Next weekend I will score. I will say, Daddy, you thought me you were going to score this week. You didn't <laughs> score. I will just, just be smiling and say, well, son, sometimes in life you don't always get what you want, mm. you know, but you have to keep working and say, okay, you will be okay. Mm. So now um, it's China. Do you still have confidence that you might play in the Premier League or make a return or play in the top flight of European football again? Of course, of course. I'm, I'm just, I'm 27, you know. Uh, uh, people are playing in Premier League, they are 30, 30 something years mm. old, you know. So if I go there, I think uh, if I do well, one, two, three seasons, only God knows, you know, you never can say God knows the future. You know? Then who knows? My comeback again and do what I know how to do best, you know. But for now, I'm just thinking of my new club, going there to give up my best, work hard and make sure I come back to scoring ways again, help my team and take them to where they want, to mm. where they belong. That's Odion Igalo speaking on Skype to Oluwashina Okaleji. Well, firstly, on this, Stuart, um, how much of a surprise was Igalo's move to China? Well, I think it was quite a surprise to see a player leave in the middle of the season like that. It certainly didn't help him that Watford changed managers at the beginning of the season. And, you know, when you have one manager signs you, he leaves, another one comes, he may change the system and you may not fit in. But, you know, Igalo's had a rather odd career. 
in a way, because he started off playing in Norway, didn't make a great impression, then went to Udinese in Italy, where he only got one start in two seasons, then went on loan to Granada in Spain, who are very much towards the bottom of La Liga, and he was there for about five seasons before coming to Watford. Now, in his first season at Watford, he scored... 20 goals in the championship as Watford got promoted to the Premiership. And then on his first season in the Premiership, he scored 15 goals. But then this season, it's all been a bit of a struggle. He's had 14 starts and only one goal and was not always guaranteed to be in the team. And I suppose having decided to leave, uh, the question is where could he go? Because Manchester United and Arsenal didn't come in for him, so he didn't have that kind of offer on the table. And while he could have stayed in the Premiership, as he told us in the interview, you know, going to West Brom or Crystal Palace, teams that aren't really guaranteed to be long-term in the Premiership. So suddenly you get this offer from China, and it's worth considering. Uh, The money is good. It's a new challenge, and you're probably guaranteed to be playing every week. So in the circumstances, yeah, I can understand why he went. Okay, so it makes sense for Igalo if you look at it like that. And uh, Solomon, it sounds like it was frustrating for Igalo, but interesting that he seems to have looked at the bigger picture in life. On this programme before, he's spoken about how his faith as a follower of Jesus Christ has helped him. Igalo has been a very good example of a great professional player, a humble player. You know, just for the fact that he played last season, scoring lots and lots of goals. And of course, when you were one of the key players last season coming into a new season and struggling uh, to play it would be frustrating but he has his frustration under control but that has to do with his relationship with jesus and also a life of prayer and also the role of his family obviously and that would go a long way in future you know you never know he might have a some sort of relationship with watford fc or the coach or any of the players again and, and they would highly recommend him because of the kind of true professionalism that he showed Yes, a good point. In life, it's always best to part on good terms if you can. Now, Stuart Igalo says in that interview that his move to China wasn't driven by money. Do you believe that? Well, Steve, who knows? But, you know, if you are offered double what you're earning in England, it's probably hard to turn it down. I mean, I'm just reading this week that Wayne Rooney, who's allegedly on $400,000 a week at Manchester United, could earn twice that if he chooses to take up one of the options to go and play in China. So I think that kind of money is hard to turn down. But you know, a bigger question is, what is China's vision for football? And I was sort of making the comparison between the North American experiment in the 1970s, where teams like the New York Cosmos signed Pelly and Beckenbauer and lots of other players from the English League went on loan to clubs playing there in the summer. But it didn't really get that far. I suppose you could say that part of that was to attract spectators, something that is no problem whatever in China, since many of the teams play to 40 or 50,000 people every week. But now the new MLS has emerged with lots of good American players and, of course, American players playing abroad. We can think of Clint Dempsey, who was at Fulham and Tottenham, or Tim Howard at Manchester United and Everton. And, of course, Bob Bradley, manager of Swansea City. But if you compare that with China, now there have only been five Chinese players who've played in the Premier League. 
And only Sun Jaye at Manchester City, who was there for six years and played 130 games, has made any real impact. Lai T at Everton had two seasons and 29 games. But then the others hardly got a game at all. I mean, like Dong Fang Zhao at Manchester United only played one game, and there was a lot of people who said he was only there to sell shirts back in China. And I think we're light years from having a Chinese manager in the Premier League. So I think those are the areas where somehow they've got to develop. So then, do you think that China can achieve this dream to become a major force in world football? They have talked of becoming a superpower by 2050. Well, I think they aim to become a world football superpower by 2050 is realistic because that's 30 years to develop a national team capable of competing in the World Cup. China, of course, have only been in the World Cup finals once. That was in 2002 when they played Costa Rica, Brazil and Turkey, lost all three games, not scoring and conceding nine goals. So somehow they've got to improve the quality of Chinese players. And are they going to do that through foreign coaches or having foreign players to play alongside their own players, or by encouraging some of their best players to go abroad and play in La Liga, Serie A, Premier League, and improve in that way. Now, interestingly, the Chinese women have reached the World Cup final and only lost on penalties. So somehow the strategy for women seems to work better than for men. By the way, Steve, I counted 28 Africans who are currently playing in the Chinese Super League and the league below that. Perhaps at a future programme we'll talk about some of them and uh, who they are and why they've gone there. Yes, we've got one from Zimbabwe. He's Nyasha Mushekwi, plays in the second tier in China and was the second top scorer in that division last season and played for Zimbabwe at the Africa Cup of Nations in Gabon. I remember bumping into Mushekwi in Harare the day that he left for China a year or so ago and he told me that he didn't even know the name of the team that he was going to join but that the money was so great that he just had to drop everything and go. Now, Solomon, uh, talking more about Christian Basagog of Cameroon, the Africa Cup of Nations player of the tournament, has gone just a few days ago to China at the age of 21 in a big money move. I can understand that for an older player, it would make sense to go to China to make a bit of money for a couple of seasons, maybe. But uh, I was surprised about Basagog. Is this going to be good for his career? Yes and no, Steve, uh, because sometimes if you look at a young player at 21, you're still pretty much young. Uh, you know, you could still play in China for two or three seasons and come back to Europe. Uh, it's not really going to be good on the other side because at 21, you're looking forward to competing in the top league in, in the world and you're looking forward to also competing with best players and playing in a team that would give you stability, that would give you opportunity to grow and develop and, and be able to get to the top of, of your game. He's not going to play in China for, for the rest of his career, obviously. I don't believe so. Uh, he would hope to come back to Europe but China also uh, offers him the opportunity to continue with his gradual development he might be playing in Denmark and get transferred to uh, another team in Spain or France or England and, and not get to play in the first team and and financially it's definitely going to be something great for him uh, for that young player you know uh, is yes and no <laughs> but I do hope that in future we would see him back in Europe 
Absolutely. I really think that Christian Basagog has the talent to do that. And uh, finally on this, Stuart, um, with the rate that China is attracting top players, maybe 10 years from now we'll be watching the Chinese Super League on TV rather than the English Premier League. I don't think so, Steve. You know, I think that most uh, football fans in Africa and around the world have their team, be it Manchester United or Arsenal or Liverpool or even Barcelona. And, you know, the fact that the big game... Shanghai Xinhua against Beijing Guan is on live television. I don't think that will attract people the way a Manchester United Liverpool game or an Arsenal Tottenham game will. So not in my lifetime can I see the Chinese Super League eclipsing the Premier League in television viewing. OK, well, uh, it was just a thought. Well, tell us what you think about this on Facebook and WhatsApp. Is China a good destination for players? Uh, the country continues to attract some top players because of the huge money that's on offer. We've talked about Odion Igalo and Christian Basagog as just two top Africans who've gone to China very recently. But critics say the standard of play there is not high enough for players to develop further. So what do you think? Is China a good destination? Go onto our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. You can post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. And last week on social media, we revisited the debate as to whether foreign coaches are better than local coaches. Some very interesting comments on this. Cameroon won the Nations Cup with Belgian coach Hugo Bruce. But there are some very talented African coaches around, including Senegal's Aliou Cissé. So we asked, do you think that foreign coaches are better than local coaches? Or is this the time for African coaches to be given more of a chance? A huge response this week, so we'll try and get through as many comments as possible. Abdullah Balde in The Gambia says foreign coaches are better because the local media will give them a chance. For local coaches, it's very difficult for them to win something. Gemo is a Cameroonian living in the United States. I will not say foreign coaches are better than local coaches, says Gemo, but foreign coaches tend to get the respect and time to implement their ideas, whereas local coaches get no room for error or patience and end up losing their jobs before being able to make any real impact. Yeah, I certainly agree with your observations there, Gemo. Uh, Bobby Brown in the Gambia says at some time African coaches will pick a player that they favour and then they'll leave out some of the good players and not put them in the team. But foreign coaches will look at both home-based and overseas players, so African countries should choose foreign coaches so that African coaches will learn from their technique. Thanks for that, Bobby. Uh, Paul Truman from Abuja says, Comparatively, foreign coaches seem better. But here in Nigeria, we don't require the services of a foreign manager because we have individuals who can fit the bill, such as Austin Egwavon, Samson Siasia and Emmanuel Amunike. However, the same may not be said of other countries. Uh, thanks for those thoughts, uh, Paul. From Sierra Leone, uh, Seal Tucker says, I think African coaches should be given the chance to prove their 
metal. Ephratha Kamanga in Malawi says how a coach performs is down to the attitude of the players. It varies according to a team's willingness and experience, says Ephratha. Another good point. Moses in the Gambia agrees. I think it depends on the team that you've got, says Moses. Some African coaches are good, like Stephen Keshi was and Aliou Sisse. But the difference is that foreign coaches are more skillful, so many go for them. To Cameroon now, and Silas Ankiangbom Ngong says, I think football is football, and expatriate coaches are not better than African coaches, or vice versa, says Silas. A coach is either good or bad, irrespective of where he comes from. If African countries have gone for foreign coaches, it is, according to me, a question of jealousy. I think Africans are ready to pay the foreign coaches whatever the coaches ask for, but cannot take it when it comes to paying local coaches the same amount of money. An FA president who earns $2,000 a month will not be comfortable to hire a local coach and pay him, say, $30,000 a month. It is simply a question about jealousy and not quality, says Silas. Well, again, I certainly agree with your thoughts there, Silas. Uh, Stanley is in Ghana. He says most African national teams have most of their players based in foreign countries under foreign coaches. If African coaches do coach them, the probability of the local coaches succeeding is less. But if Africans want to be more of a powerhouse in coaching, then they will have to believe in their own. Albert Kadzombe in Malawi says, I don't think all the foreign coaches are better than local coaches. We've seen Egypt winning the AFCON three times in a row with a local coach, and even Nigeria have done it before. They need to be given chances like foreign coaches and to have full support. Here in Malawi, most of the foreign coaches have failed to deliver, and yet they receive good salaries, while local coach Kina Piri did well for the national team, but he was receiving only a hand-to-mouth salary. Indeed, um, to Nigeria now, and Obina says this is the time for African coaches to be given more of a chance. African coaches, especially ex-footballers, will thrive even more than their foreign counterparts because they know the terrain much better than the foreign coaches. Another great point there, Obina. By Mata Sanyang is in the Gambia. African coaches are better to me than European coaches, says By Mata. The problem with the African coaches is that they have not been given the support and the materials as the authorities have done for the Europeans. Let's give our own local coaches a chance. Good to hear from Kelvin, in touch for the first time from Kenya, but Kelvin doesn't see a straightforward answer to this. It depends, he says. I feel like the African coaches need more empowerment so that they can get the trust of the local fans. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. I uh, really enjoyed that look at uh, this hot issue. Apologies if we didn't get to read out your comment. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Then you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programs too in our archive. And you can also listen to the show on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com. Well, let's focus on the UEFA Champions League now with the round of 16 underway and the first leg games having been played over the past two weeks. Uh, who are some of the African players to note who are playing in the knockout stage, Stuart? Steve, it's uh, quite a complex round of the 16 because in order to 
get maximum television coverage, were playing only four games per week over a four-week period. So it's going to take about a month before we really know how the the round is going. But there have been some very interesting uh, matches happening. And Manchester City coming from behind to beat Monaco 5-3 caught my eye. Now, Yaya Torre was there in midfield for 90 minutes. The player who was not even included in the squad for the previous phase, the person we were all certain was going to leave Manchester City in the transfer window. But, you know, he's made it up with Guardiola and is now a valuable player in the team. Kelechi Iheanacho was on the bench for City but didn't get on and he struggled a bit for game time this season. Now, Leicester have probably as many... Africans as anyone, uh, Daniel Amarty from Ghana, and of course the two Algerians, Islam Slimani and Riyad Mahrez, and Ahmed Musa, the Nigerian, who hasn't quite established himself yet. But uh, their the new 20-year-old Nigerian signing in the January transfer window, Wilfred Ndidi, has played and scored, uh, came from Genk in Belgium. So I think he could be one to watch. Now, uh, in Italy, there seem to be quite a few African players around in the Champions League. Now, Juventus have Midi Benatia from Morocco and Kodo Asamoa from Ghana and Mario Lamina from Gabon. And all of those are playing regularly uh, for Juventus. And similarly, Napoli have got Fazi Gulam from Algeria Kelidu Koulibaly from Senegal and Amadou Diawara from Guinea, three Africans in their squad. And a player who has certainly caught the eye in a remarkable game that we're just going to talk about when Paris Saint-Germain beat Barcelona 4-0 was Serge Aurier, the Ivorian. Now, what is remarkable about him is that he got into a row with the head coach at Paris Saint-Germain and it looked as if his days were numbered there. But it's all been patched up with the club and he's back playing and having a real impact there. Yeah, so uh, the Ivorian Serge Aurier impressing for Paris Saint-Germain. Well, it was tough, wasn't it, for Barcelona and Arsenal fans? Heavy defeats for both teams. As you say, Barcelona lost 4-0 to Paris Saint-Germain. And Arsenal going down 5-1 to Bayern Munich. Uh, Any hope of a turnaround for these two teams? Oh, absolutely, Steve. All they need is to win (laughs) 5-0. No, I don't think so. Um, It could be the end of the era for that great Barcelona side that we've admired for so long. But it's one thing, you know, to have the best strike force in the world, Neymar, Messi and Suarez. But if you can't defend because their defence and midfield were completely overrun during that game. And if you can't get the ball to the strikers, and if your strikers are actually not working hard enough in a game where you're struggling, well, you know, you need more than that. The first thing to say about Arsenal is that English clubs are no longer the force that they were in Europe, and it's no longer the case that you are guaranteed almost to have an English club in the semi-final, if not the final of the Champions League. But it was the way that Arsenal went down that shocked everyone. You know, they were 1-1 at half-time, had had a decent first half. Even when they went 2-1 down, you thought, well, they could still overturn this. But then to surrender three more goals in a very short time in the second half, to seem to have no fight, to have the big players really not showing, you know, no leader to parent, 
Well, it was sad to see. And, of course, it has raised questions about Arsene Wenger. And the problem with assessing Wenger is that he has taken Arsenal into the Champions League for the last 17 years, but it's seven years since they've gone beyond the last 16. So is that success or is it failure? It's success in the sense of generating money, but surely a club of Arsenal's stature should be making an impact in the Champions League, not just qualifying for it. They last won the league in 2004, and in the past 10 years, all they've won is two FA Cups. You know, I read a really interesting quote from Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust who said, if Arsene Wenger had left in 2006, he'd be regarded as Arsenal's greatest ever manager. But what has happened in the last few years has tarnished his earlier achievements. And I think that's what a lot of people feel, that Wenger came, was brilliant, made Arsenal the best team alongside Manchester United in the country, but then they have been consistently in the top four, consistently in the Champions League, but never looked like winning either. And that, for a lot of Arsenal supporters, isn't enough. And that they've lost twice in a year, 5-1 at Bayern Munich, is simply embarrassing. So I think Arsene Wenger has been a great manager, but I think it's unlikely that he will still be there the beginning of next season. Yes, it's looking more and more like that, isn't it? And I've spoken to faithful Arsenal fans here who've stood by Wenger but are now saying that he should go. Arsenal play their second leg on the 7th of March. Well, that's it for the show for this week. But on Facebook and WhatsApp, tell us, do you think that China is a good destination for players to move to? Our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Our WhatsApp number, plus 447955232780. That's plus 447955232780. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashoms in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.